Chapter Twenty Seven of Brigands of the Moon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Brigands of the Moon by Ray Cummings. Chapter Twenty Seven. We crouched in the shadows, the earthlight filtering down to us. The skulking figure of Miko had vanished, but I was sure he was out there somewhere on the crags lurking, maneuvering to where he could strike us with his ray. Anita's metal-gloved hand was on my arm. In my ear diaphragm, her voice sounded eager. What was the signal, Greg? I told her everything. Oh, Greg, the Martian ship coming. Her mind clung to that as the most important thing. But not so myself. To me, there was only the realization that Anita was caught out here, almost at the mercy of Miko's ray. Grantline's men could not get out to help us, nor could I get Anita into the camp. She added, Where do you suppose the ship is? Twenty or thirty thousand miles up, probably. The stars and the earth were visible over us. Somewhere up there, disclosed by Grantline's instruments, but not yet discernible to the naked eye, Miko's reinforcements were hovering. We lay for a moment in silence. It was horribly nerve-straining. Miko could be creeping up on us. Would he dare chance my sudden fire? Creeping, or would he make a swift, unexpected rush? The feeling that he was upon us abruptly swept me. I jumped to my feet against Anita's effort to hold me. Where was he now? Was my imagination playing me tricks? I sank back. That ship should be here in a few hours. I told her what Grantline's signal had suggested. The ship was hovering overhead. It must be fairly close, for Grantline's telescope had revealed its identity as an outlaw flyer, unmarked by any of the standard code identification lights. It was doubtless too far away as yet to have located the whereabouts of Grantline's camp. The Martian brigands knew that we were in the vicinity of Archimedes, but no more than that. Searching this glowing moon surface, our tiny local semaphore beams would certainly pass unnoticed. But as the brigand ship approached now, dropping close to Archimedes, as it probably would, our danger was that Miko and his men would then signal it, join it, and reveal the camp's location, and the brigand attack would be upon us. I told this now to Anita. The signal from Grantline said, unless you can stop them. It was an appeal to me. But how could I stop them? What could I do alone out here with Anita to cope with this enemy? Anita made no comment. I added, That ship will land near Archimedes within an hour or two. If Grantline can repair the ports, and I can get you inside... Again she made no comment. Then suddenly she gripped me. Greg, look there. Out through the gully break in our bowl, the figure of Miko showed. He was running, but not at us, circling the summit, leaping to keep himself behind the upstanding crags. He passed the head of the staircase. He did not descend it, but headed off along the summit of the crater rim. I stood up to watch him. Where is he going? I let Anita stand up beside me, cautiously at first for it occurred to me it might be a ruse to cover some other of Miko's men who might be lurking near. But the summit seemed clear. 
The figure of Miko was a thousand feet away now. We could see the tiny blob of it bobbing over the rocks. Then it plunged down, not into the crater valley, but out toward the open moon surface. Miko had abandoned his attack on us. The reason seemed plain. He had come here from his encampment with Coniston ahead to lure and kill Wilkes. When this was done, Coniston had flashed his signal to Miko, who was hiding nearby. It was not like the brigand leader to remain in the background. Miko was no coward. But Coniston could impersonate Wilkes, whereas Miko's giant stature at once would reveal his identity. Miko had been engaged in smashing the ports. He had looked up and seen me kill Coniston. He had come to assail me, and then he had read Grantline's message to me. It was his first knowledge that his ship was at hand. With the camp exits inoperative, Grantline and his men were imprisoned. Miko had made an effort to kill me. He did not know my companion was Anita. But the effort was taking too long. With his ship at hand, it was Miko's best move to return to his own camp, rejoin his men, and await their opportunity to signal the ship. At least so I reasoned it. Anita and I stood alone. What could we do? We went to the brink of the cliff. The unlighted Grantline buildings showed vaguely in the earthlight. I said, we'll go down. I'll leave you there. You can wait at the port. They'll repair it soon. And what will you do, Greg? I did not intend to tell her. Hurry, Anita. Greg, let me go with you. She jerked away from me and bounded back up the stairs. I caught her on the summit. Anita, I'm going with you. You're going to stay here. I'm not. This exasperating controversy. Anita, please. I'll be safer with you than waiting here, Greg. And she added, Besides, I won't stay, and you can't make me. We ran along the crater top. At its distant edge, the lower plain spread before us. Far down and far away on the distant broken surface, the leaping figure of Miko showed. He plunged down the broken outer slope, reached the level. Soon, as we ran, the little Grantline crater faded behind us. Anita ran more skillfully than I. Ten minutes or so passed. We had seen Miko in the direction he was taking, but down here on the plain we could no longer see him. It struck me that our chase was purposeless and dangerous. Suppose Miko were to see us following him. Suppose he stopped and lay in ambush to fire at us as we came leaping heedlessly by. Anita, wait! I drew her down amid a group of tumbled boulders, and then abruptly she clung to me. Greg, I know what we can do. Greg, don't tell me you won't let me try it. I listened to her plan. Incredible. Incredibly dangerous. Yet, as I pondered it, the very daring of the scheme seemed the measure of its possible success. The brigands would never imagine we could be so rash. But Anita... Greg, you're stupid. It was her turn to be exasperated. But I was in no mood for daring. My mind was obsessed with Anita's safety. I had been planning that we might see the glow of Miko's encampment and decide on some course of action. But Greg, the safety of the treasure of all the Grantline men. To the infernal with that. It's you, your safety. My safety, then. If you put me in the camp and the brigands attack it, and I am killed, what then? But this plan of mine, if we can do it, Greg, 
will mean safety in the end for all of us. And it seemed possible. We crouched, discussing it. So daring a thing. The brigand ship would come down near Archimedes. That was fifty miles from Grantline. The brigands from Mars would not have seen the dark Grantline buildings hidden in the little crater pit. They would wait for Miko and his men to make their whereabouts known. Miko's encampment was ahead of us now, undoubtedly. We had been following him toward the Mar Imbrium, or at least we hoped so. He would signal his ship. But Anita and I, closer to it, would also signal it, and, posing as brigands, would join it. Remember, Greg, I remain Anita Prince, George's sister. Her voice trembled as she mentioned her dead brother. They know that George was in Miko's pay, and I, as his sister, will help to convince them. This daring scheme. If we could join the ship, we might be able to persuade its leader that Miko's distant signals were merely a ruse of Grantline to lure the brigands in that direction. A long-range projector from the ship would kill Miko and his men as they came forward to join it, and then we would falsely direct the brigands, lead them away from Grantline and the treasure. Greg, we must try it. Heaven help me, I yielded to her persuasion. We turned at right angles and ran toward where the distant frowning walls of Archimedes loomed against the starlit sky. End of chapter 27